Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Bandroom Podcast. My name is Dylan Maddox. And I'm Kate Nishimura. I like uh, that hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, that could lead us down things. You know, there's been cartoons written by horrible people that... Uh, also use hey 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 so (laughs) i'm not too sure about it but anyway one thing i am sure of though kate is i'm very happy to be here with you right now (laughs) oh well i'm happy to be here with you and i have to say um congratulations because this is the band room podcast's 50th Episode. 50th episode. 50th episode. Insert oh. little fanfare thing. Um, but yeah, for real, uh, 50 episodes is a tremendous feat of accomplishment. Uh, I, I can't say that I have been a part of all of them. I have done 15, I think, if I'm counting mm. right now. Um, but 50 is a lot. It's a huge contribution to the band world, the music ed world. So thank you for starting this and for including me in in the remaining journey. I can't wait to get to uh, the next 50 with you. There you go. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, I, my wife cut my hair this morning and I'm a little bit more gray. <laughs> uh, so one, what did you say? One per... One episode. One gray hair per <laughs> <Yeah>. episode. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, but no, no, it's 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 been really cool, and uh, it's yeah, I'm happy it started. I wish it was even more because this this thing used to be released only on, on a monthly basis. That's why we're not at like yeah. 200. But but no, yeah. it's been a wild ride, and it's gone through many transformations, and it continue mm-hmm. it will continue to do that. Um, but yeah, yeah, 50, and yeah. I think we had a great guest. For number 50. I think so too. Uh, and that guest was a composer and conductor extraordinaire, Joanne Harris. Friend of mine. Joanne is amazing. And I personally am so excited to have been able to introduce her to you and to our listeners in the band community who may not have already encountered her and know how awesome she is Mm -hmm. and we had such a wonderful conversation with her yeah and uh i i mean i might maybe i'm speaking too strongly and you know joanne if if you're listening to this and you disagree feel free to email us post on our social media whatever you need to do (laughs) to defend yourself but she (laughs) she seemed like one of those people you meet or at least for me it was like a like we would be the best yeah. of friends if we weren't in a world pandemic and lived in yeah. the same state, you know. Uh, and I, yeah, it was it was a really great conversation. And and uh, I, yeah, I was re- I'm just I'm just so I don't know what the word is. I don't know what the word is. It's not flattered. It's just uh. you have good <laughs> feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> giddy. Am I giddy? That's I think a I'm good giddy. way to feel. Giddy to be jo- Joanne's would, friend. I think she would agree. Yeah. Joanne, feel free to disagree, but I, I think she would agree. And actually, that is that is the experience uh, that I have had with Joanne. Um, the first time we met uh, and had a, a, a conversation, like a real conversation, was on Zoom. Like it was during this pandemic um, that we have kind of become friends and um, she's part of my little banjo club um, with past BRP mm-hmm. guest, Dr. Caitlin Bove as well. And so there are lots of ways that our paths cross. Uh, and I'm really excited uh, that we had the chance to share some of her story with the BRP community. Yeah, no, it was, it was excellent. And that banjo club, that's another one of those organizations <laughs> that I'm uh, highly <laughs> jealous I can't be part of. Uh, <laughs> Along with the Calgary conducting uh, thing. <laughs> All these exclusive clubs. <laughs> that yeah. and the banjo club. <laughs> We're not quite up there in the same yeah. category. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but before we get to that episode, would you consider doing us a huge favor and what... What favor would that be? That favor would be if all of you fine folks can head to Apple Podcasts and leave the Bandroom Podcast a rating and a review, if that is where you're listening to this podcast right now. If it's uh, Stitcher or Spotify or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, please give BRP uh, a like, a subscribe, a follow, whatever it is on whatever platform. It really, really helps uh, others mm-hmm. to find the podcast and helps us grow our community. Absolutely. And, uh, and thank you to all of you have gone and done that. It's been 
pretty cool to see the old rating number go up. Um, and it's a new month. We're in the month of June now. Uh, this is going to come out the day before my birthday. It's very exciting. So I think it's another installment of Review of the Month. Do, 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 do. Ooh, I liked that fanfare. That was a little <laughs> bit more creative than usual. Huh. Well, that's a BRP 50 slash <laughs> the anniversary almost Good. birthday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this, this one, this review is not on our Apple podcast if you go look for it, but it was posted on the Facebook, as my grandparents say, and it comes to us <laughs> from Chris Perry. Chris Perry says... Stopped midway through the Band Room podcast with Dylan Maddox and Kate Nishimura featuring Angela Schroeder. I have to share as far and wide as I can. First, the episode is awesome. Go listen here and follow this podcast. I'm not going to read the link to you. Uh, Kate and Dylan are excellent <laughs> interviewers. Uh, they are great at giving their guests space while still adding their own elements to the conversation. Love, love, love this podcast. Anytime you heard me yell, that was all caps. <laughs> so thank you so much, Chris, for that lovely um, post. And uh, I'll call it a review. Thank you. Yeah. And just thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, spreading the band room gospel and all that stuff. Uh, much appreciated. Mm -hmm. And speaking of things I much appreciate, uh, we recorded another exciting bonus episode for you to listen to. Uh, and, and Joanne Harris for the she did something new that no one else has done. She shared someone else's story on the bonus <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think it was a it great. It was a very good story. Yeah, yeah. it was a great story. And you, you, like me, you'll want to take the I don't know, the the meaning of the story and use it in your own life. I think it's it's very yes. useful, especially when everyone's vaccinated. Oh, now you really want to listen, mm -hmm. don't you? How does what? Yeah, how does we're really this connect? There now. <laughs> how does this connect? But anyway, so that's a great bonus episode. You can hear that bonus episode if you become part of the Bandroom Podcast Patreon community, and you can learn more about that by visiting Patreon.com/slash/BandroomPod, where you can hear that conversation as well as a great growing back catalog of other fun bonus episodes as well as other bonus content. Um, so go check it out, patreon.com slash bandroompod. But without further ado, here is our conversation with Joanne Harris. Welcome to another episode of the Bandroom Podcast. This week we are very excited to welcome a new guest, composer, conductor, educator, and my fellow pandemic banjo player, <laughs> yes. Joanne Harris. Welcome to the Bandroom, Joanne. Oh, thank you guys for having me. It's so nice to be here. We're really excited to talk to you today and to introduce you and your story to our listeners as well. So in true bandroom fashion, we'd like to start by asking you uh, where, why, and how did you start your musical journey? Well, like probably many of your listeners and, and several of your guests, um, you know, I was plopped at the piano at a very young age. Uh, I believe I was four. I was five, mm. maybe. Um, when I started piano lessons uh, very early, and I and I loved it mainly because as I grew, I could use it as a tool to um, convince the neighborhood children that we were going to do a show, <laughs> and so <laughs> and so we did a lot of you know homegrown musicals. We did a lot of playing at the piano, um, not so much practicing. I think that was maybe like my first clue that like you know, I'm probably not a performer, but I do like to make stuff up. Mm. Um, so, so I continued at the piano. Uh, and as I got older, you know, in uh, middle school, I played clarinet and I really wanted nice. to play. The oh, dear. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> My bias is shown. Oh, Dylan. Hey, we've <laughs> had so many trumpet player guests, Dylan. Yeah, it's because it's God's instrument. Oh, okay, I, I see. <laughs> you Start welcome over. me to your band room and then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
so the clarinet, the best of all reed instruments, mm-hmm. um, was was a love of mine. Um, but I really wanted to play the violin, and there was no orchestra program um, growing up at my school in Fairfield, Iowa. So my parents, um, you know, sort of dutifully said, "Okay, we'll hire a violin teacher to come to the house." Um, and I loved this woman. Her name was Joanne Ansel. And she came to the house. She taught both me and my sister. And, you know, we learned Suzuki. But in her spare time, Joanne Ansel would dress up and she would she would take her students with her to, like, county fairs across <laughs> Iowa. And we'd dress up as pioneer children and we would play <laughs> bluegrass. <laughs> and it was the nice. best. She called herself Fiddlin' Granny. And so Fiddlin' Granny would do these, you know, these little shows. We were basically busking, I now yeah. know, you know. Um, but that was, there was nothing greater for me and my sister than to, you know, don a, a petticoat and an apron and, like, go play <laughs> Little Brown Chuck <laughs> at the county fair. Um, so we had a great time doing that, you know. And then, of course, the, the community theater scene and just really anything musical I could get my hands on, mm-hmm. I did. Well, the banjo makes sense now. Oh, the banjo. <laughs> yeah, it does. I was going to say, are there pictures of you in those costumes and doing those little gigs that were not gigs? <laughs> oh, yes. I, yes. Um, I will have to task my father, Jeff Harris, uh, family archivist with this. But you, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are photos and I'm sure they are super embarrassing. <laughs> we won't do anything with them. <laughs> yeah, no show notes or anything Just like that. Just put it on the Facebook page. No. <laughs> Um, but I, I loved that. You know, I loved anything where uh, I got to create or perform or be a part of a group. Um, mm-hmm. I was not so much a solo performer. That freaked me out. Um, mm-hmm. But any anything in an ensemble, I was like, okay, yeah. great. That's, that sounds very fun. Uh, and it sounds like your your musical beginnings were full of creative opportunities. Like you said, not so much thinking about performing and practicing, but just making stuff and being exploratory um, through your interactions with music. So the fact that you became a composer, it kind of all works out, you know, when you put the pieces together like that. Yeah. In hindsight, there are, there are clues, you know, it's like, (laughs) yeah, my life's calling. I've been doing it since I was six, you know? Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, I had a really great and supportive music education environment growing up. Um, you know, my, my chorus teacher in high school was, was the reason I pursued choral music education in college. Um, my band teacher who retired this year, Jim Edgton, uh, was just a wonderful human. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I think those people are indelible on your life. You know, they, the way that they encouraged my creativity inside and outside of the classroom was unparalleled. And, and I'm so grateful for that experience. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I guess you just you mentioned um, studying choral music. And I don't know, could we dive into that a little bit more? What, what led you to, to want to go study that and where? Yeah. Well, so I had loved singing Renee Klassen's music in high school. And so I I was like, I got to be in the Concordia Choir. That's just, (laughs) that's for me. Um, You know, so I I went to Concordia and I sang in the Concordia Choir and and it was awesome. I mean, I think uh, we probably spent more time on tour than we did in school. (laughs) Um, But like that, again, that appealed to me so much Um, Mm -hmm. and I... And I learned a lot from Renee, and I, I, I just really treasured the experience uh, of, of being in that choir. Um, and that sort of segues into, you know, I think, I'm remembering now, my senior <laughs> vocal recital, um, which was, like, pretty painful. Because, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a choral singer. I'm not really a solo singer and so like it just wasn't you know it was it was fine (laughs) I gave a vocal recital okay but I remember um I did it in tandem with my best friend and I wrote her a song cycle and like that was the thing I was the most excited to do that day Mm -hmm. um was to present this work that I had written and so you know again another little clue in hindsight but I think um Nobody really said to me along the way, like, hey, have you thought about 
composing. You know, I think maybe it was just that I was on a trajectory or I was, you know, as in a groove with with what I was doing and, and it was fine. Um, but I think the real turning point in, in my life was when I got to New York. Um, so, uh, so I got a job with the young people's course of New York city mm-hmm. as an assistant conductor and a teacher in the satellite school program. And I, I remember, I remember going out for this audition and, um, they flew me out. I, I get in a room with a bunch of urban kids. Like this is maybe only the second time in my life that I had been to New York City. And the the you know, the demo class that I had prepared was just going terribly. And I was like, well, let's go big or go home here. And I think I made them <laughs> sing like this, you know, this like high school after after school choral program. I think I made these kids sing like the Star Spangled Banner in three different keys at once. Like I was just like, let's just go. Like wow. I'm not getting this job, so let's at least have a good time. Yeah. So we were all in stitches by the end of this audition, and I flew home, and I think I remember telling Renee, I was like, I blew it. You know, like that was just it was terrible. So I'm sure, like in some way, like he works some magic. I think he probably like made a call to Francisco, and he's like, you know, she's she's eccentric, yeah, but like she's she's. <laughs> she's probably a little better than whatever you saw. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that conversation happened. Anyway, so I got this job. I was super excited about it. And my first week working for the Young People's Chorus, uh, the kids were doing a gig uh, for the VMAs that year. So it was 2006. Mm -hmm. This is the year where like Beyonce drops from the ceiling of Radio City Music Hall for like Ring the Alarm. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. So I got to watch her like stunt double practice this move. Wow. Which is just wild. So like this is my first week in the city. I'm walking around Radio City Music Hall. I'm like meeting people in the green room. I met Beyonce's drummer. And I was wow. like, okay, okay. What is this magical land uh, that I now live in? And who are these people and what are their jobs? And so I think that year really just opened my eyes to all mm-hmm. of the possibilities that I just hadn't considered for myself. Um, and so that that sort of, um, I, I think, was the first step to, yeah. to composition um, in earnest. I, uh, I read a story soon after this about Michael Giacchino meeting Steven Spielberg on like an escalator or something. <laughs> I, I don't remember the particulars of this, of this story. But but in my mind, the story goes, you know, Steven's like, oh, hey, you write music? Cool. My friend JJ is like doing a thing. Like, maybe you should meet him. And they met. And so I was like, well, I'll just do everything that Michael Giacchino did. And I, certainly I will meet somebody influential on an escalator. Like, how hard can this be? <laughs> Every escalator um, in New York. <laughs> I was like, excuse me. Are you a film director? Excuse me. No, no. Um, <laughs> but but Michael Giacchino had taken this series of, of evening division classes at Juilliard, and I was like, okay, like uh, let's see if I can take some classes in orchestration and and just fill in the blanks a little bit from moving from a choral music background to more of an instrumental mm-hmm. um, thing. So I did that, and in the meantime, I found an internship with a film composer uh, in the city, Chris Hagen. And that um, was just awesome. I think uh, we proved to be really good friends uh, after a time uh, of me being uh, an intern. I moved into more of like an apprentice role. And over Mm -hmm. the span of maybe three or four years, I kind of just duplicated his tech setup so that I could start ghostwriting for him and and taking on, you know, stuff he didn't want to do. So I really learned the trade of film scoring the old fashioned way mm-hmm. um, just by sitting in the studio with Chris and just watching him work. Um, so those two things in, in, in tandem, I think were like the continuing ed part that sort of ushered me into, into more film work. It's one of my favorite things of, of doing this podcast is hearing people's path into, you know, the core of their work and how often if just by looking at it the first time you're like, Oh, it has no connection. <laughs> but to hear how, <laughs> how you got from one place to the other, it's like, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it just goes to show like that, that whole, that whole situation and experience with your mentor, you know, that, that can be said for many different 
kind of areas of the music business. And, and certainly it was true for me, you know, my, my mentor at, at a certain point of trust <laughs> says, okay, I'll start giving you work, <laughs> um, yeah. which is awesome. So yeah, no, it's, it's a good thing. And, and for people to just keep in mind to, you know, first of all, you never know who's listening and always, always, always find a good mentor. Well, I'm curious about the conducting side of yeah. your work. And if, um, because I know that with a lot of um, the gigs that you might get in the film industry, you're writing the music and you're also conducting uh, the ensemble for, you know, recording for whatever kind of project it is. Is that something that just sort of those two roles go together when you get hired to make the music? Or was that something that you were interested in doing and pushed for yourself? That's a good question. Um, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, there are still film composers who will conduct their own music. You know, uh, obviously our our number one film scoring champion of the world, John Williams, will still always conduct his own music. Mm -hmm. um, but to certain degrees, like some composers, really would rather be in the booth um, and able to just have their faculties about them that way. So they're really listening for final product mm -hmm. and they don't want to be on the stage um, thinking about the particulars of, of, of what's required of the live musicians at that moment. So the majority of film score conducting I do is when I've been hired as an orchestrator and I sort okay. of, I tag myself in there and I'm like, Hey, do you also need a conductor? <laughs> um, and, and that works out great because I've been in the score you know, I know it inside and out because um, I've been orchestrating it. And I, you know, um, and I really like session conducting. Um, and, and so so it's a joy for me when I get to do it. But mm -hmm. I don't usually conduct my own music. Interesting. I'll have, a, I'll have other people do it. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just kind yeah. of like to save time from maybe being in the booth with a director and going back and forth and, and those kind of things? And maybe like wearing too many hats and going crazy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It's too many hats. Also, one of my favorite things in the world is to watch somebody else interpret my music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kate knows. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joy. And you learn so much about, yeah. about yourself in a, in a really cool way um, mm -hmm. by watching someone else interpret your, your art, which is just really fun. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree for sure. I think a lot about that and just how like, I already know what I mean when I put stuff on the page, but relying on somebody else to interpret that and actually make something of it. That's where I learn, okay, actually I need to be clearer about this mm -hmm. thing. Or like, if I want this to happen in a certain way, I need to tell them because unless I'm there, they're not going to know that. And yeah, so it's, it's a unique experience for sure to be in a position where you get to watch someone else in real time, especially interpret your work and, and what you can learn from that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's nothing better. Yeah. You just like <laughs> feel alive. Yeah, you know? for sure. <laughs> and a lot of times conductors will find stuff that I never, that I didn't consider, mm. you know, there'll be a, you know, a, you know, a Rolentondo that I was like, Oh, okay. Now you've unlocked a new, a new piece of this for me that I just didn't know was possible. It's a gift. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. One of my, <laughs> my favorite things, I don't know if composers enjoy this, but uh, I had had to, to rip a piece apart in a good way um, for <laughs> not for my uh, DMA audition. So I had uh, my friend Evan's uh, piece, which is the theme music to the band room, the Skyline. And um, I had to take it apart. I'm like, do you realize you were doing this at this moment? And then you went back to this key here and then you did this here. He's like, uh, nope. I had no idea. <laughs> Never thought about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cherished relationship for sure between composer and conductor. It's really interesting yeah. to hear about how that works specifically in the film uh, side of things. Cause I think most of the time here in the band room, we're talking about concert music um, as opposed to film and commercial music and stuff like that. So it's really interesting. Um, and speaking of concert music, we did want to ask how you found your way to writing music for wins because you know having a choral background you did say you played the clarinet though in in band so is that something that kind of like were you always interested in writing for wins or how did that part come up in your life my being 
in the wind world and being being a new kid relatively in the in the wind ensemble world uh is directly the fault or responsibility of Michael Markowski. <laughs> so ah. um, when Michael moved to New York, um, we met because I was hosting a series of after hours events at ASCAP called the Ravel Study Group. So we would get together and we would we would study Ravel and sometimes other film scores. Um, and it, you know, it was a group from, you know, 15, 20 people every week or something. But uh, Michael heard about this. He he is also ASCAP, and he mm. and he came, and then we met, and we were instant <laughs> friends. Nice. And yeah, and it, and it was the best. Um, but like I, as I got to know Michael and his music, um, I just you know he's brilliant. He's brilliant, and um, and we would we would meet maybe like once a month, and and we called it. Um, the Super Secret Composers Club, which now is like <laughs> not a secret name. Sorry, Michael. Um, the SMCC <laughs> met once a month. And we would just, sh- you know, we would show each other what we were working on. So mine was like largely like, you know, here's some more commercial music that I'm doing or I'm orchestrating this or, you know. Um, and he would he would let me into his process. And mm-hmm. I was just like, this is amazing. Like the way that you conceptualize these pieces um and he was like you know you 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 could do this and I was like no 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 you're a real composer like I sit at my computer and I like you know I like make these things and he's like no no no. I think I think you could do this moreover I think um you'd have a really good time in this community and they would love having you um and they would love having your voice and I was like okay well you know will you babysit me if I try and write a piece? <laughs> he was like, absolutely. So we started with like the, the Dallas Winds has a fanfare competition. Mm-hmm. And he was like, let's make fanfares and we'll enter them. And so we spent a couple SSCC meetings working on our fanfares. And then uh, and then we submitted and, and we both uh, got fanfares accepted that year. And it was just nerdy and fun. And he was like, see, the, see you could do it. And I was like, okay, maybe. And so then he explained to me like, you know, the whole grading system, which is still yeah. something that I just don't quite get. <laughs> um, but I'm trying, <laughs> yeah. trying really, really hard. Um, uh, so, so he was like, this is, this is what constitutes sort of a grade three piece, you know? And then he pulled, uh exemplary work from the grade three world and he compiled a whole email i mean he went he went Mm -hmm. like doctoral level thesis on this (laughs) research project for me and he was like here this is grade three and i was like cool 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 um okay let me try let me try and so he really just um was my mentor into this world and and um did a great job of of um of, of helping me um, yeah. with the lighthouse and, and figuring it out. So, and so that was your first, that was your first piece for wind band then, right? The lighthouse. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah. were you happy with it? Like, did you enjoy <laughs> the process of writing for winds? <laughs> you know what? I did. Yeah. I think it was like really, I think it was cathartic. I think the hardest part was getting started, um, mm. because I am such a collaborator in most pursuits. Right. Um, it's daunting to be told like, well, just, you know, write, write what you want. And you're like, but can I have some <laughs> Need to be in the box. Film? Can I have a story? Can we, you know, like, yeah. um, so yeah. that was the hard part for me too. And I think there's a little bit of internal pressure that comes along with like, you can kind of scapegoat a little when you're like, oh, I just, I wrote this for something else or I wrote this mm-hmm. for a TV show or, you know, it's not part of me. I think... Um, the the blessing and the curse of like diving into more of a concert pursuit was that like yeah there is a place for you to say something a little more close to your heart uh, a yeah. little more organic to you that's not being um, you're not paid for hire here like this can be your baby in a little in yeah. in most every way so yeah. um. I, I wanted that in my life and and wind ensemble writing is is still a great way to 
um, sort of stretch my legs in that way. Yeah. That's really cool. And I, I knew that you and Michael were friends, um, but I didn't realize how much of a role he played in getting you to uh, join this fine community of, you know, the band world. So I'll have <laughs> we to have personally him. thank him. <laughs> or blame him. I mean, I don't know. Or blame him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to... Uh, bring up just another another piece that I really like and it, I think it was a collaboration uh, involving Michael and another ASU grad Dr. Andy Pease uh, and that's yes. uh, this wonderful piece uh, for Wind Octet called Dawn Chorus the whole the, that whole CD is you know inspired by the the Stravinsky octet and that and that instrumentation so just and it's such a unique uh, you know colors that that are be able to be used but uh, if if Anyone out there is looking for new wind octet music because I know y'all are. That's a great CD, so I'm going to link that, and it's a wonderful piece. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, Dylan. It's a great. I mean, I'm so proud of the whole album. Yeah. And Andy Pease is another one of those conductors that shows me every single time he conducts something I've written, he sh he shows me something new mm -hmm. uh, about my work, um, <laughs> and that. Is just it's mind-boggling, and I love it. I love it because um, uh, he he really takes his time with it. And he really digs in. Yeah, and that's wonderful. <clears throat> yeah, kind of related to well, so often whenever we're well, at least me and Kate as well, trying to figure out how to get more people, more composers writing for for wins, um, we hear we hear about you know just the esteem and the the of writing for orchestra. And all those things. Um, so we're, I was wondering, um, why do you think composers should consider writing for the wind medium more? I mean, you gave many good reasons already, but I'm just, <laughs> I want more, dang it. You know, okay, I'll give you some more. Um, <laughs> it's the same sort of impetus uh, when, you, when you think about writing choral music. Um, mm -hmm. Sort of like the breath right? Being mm -hmm. such an important part of who we are as humans. I think if you want to dive deep philosophically, you know, the wind ensemble is just all of this breath, this mm -hmm. energy, this vibrancy on stage, and it's exciting. Um, and and the, the colors you can get, um, mm -hmm. you can get super creative with wind ensemble. I think, um, but the biggest the number one reason that I would that I would tell anyone um, to consider writing for wind ensemble is that the people you get to collaborate with are am amazing. I mean, you guys have met yourselves. Like, <laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing. You're you're fun and you're open hearted and you are smart and you you know you know the rep inside and out and it's just fun to hang with band people. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that's the same reason um, that Alex Shapiro gave us as well. So there you go. There's something there, there folks. There's something right there. There's something yeah. there. There's something <laughs> there. Yeah. It seems like almost every episode we talk about the importance of community. Often maybe our guests bring it up to why they became interested in band, Community is a big part of why many of us do what we do. Absolutely, and that's why I love our new partnership with the Canadian Band Association, to share an opportunity for you to be part of a national community of band directors, musicians, and educators. And becoming a member is easy. By joining your provincial band chapter, you automatically become a member of the Canadian Band Association. No matter if you're in British Columbia, Newfoundland and Labrador, or anywhere in between, there is a band association for you. Yes, even my homeland of Prince Edward Island. They started a new one, which is very exciting. Membership benefits include access to the Canadian Winds Journal, monthly e-news, national insurance program, national youth band audition discounts for students, access to national awards and musician certificates. Not to mention all the great events your own provincial chapters will hold. Conducting workshops, community band events, reading sessions, workshops, and more. Support band and music education in Canada through supporting the work being done by your local chapter. To learn more about how you can become a member of the Canadian Band Association, 
visit canadianband.org chapters to find info on how to connect with your provincial chapter. That's canadianband.org chapters to learn how you can be part of the Canadian Band community. And, and speaking of Alex Shapiro, um, and we mentioned Michael Murkowski, but there's a number of composers that, you know, have either started in commercial music or have uh, ventured into that area. Um, so we're wondering, how does your writing for film and TV and commercials and, and all that influence your concert music and, and maybe even vice versa? That's a great question. Um, I, th- I think for for a minute, I thought that it shouldn't. I Mm. thought to write concert music would be like, you know, again, like when, when Michael first pitched it, I was like, I don't know, that's real music. Like I can't do that, (laughs) you know? And, and I think, um, to, to, so for a minute, like I just kind of got stuck in my head, like this is what concert music should be. And this Mm -hmm. is how, you know, a very like sort of like academic approach to, to concert music. Um, but now I think more about the instinct that I have when I do a really quick piece of commercial music. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I write for several, well, not several, right now, basically just one music library that feeds into um, 2020 and Dateline and Primetime. And so okay. a lot of those shows, um, news magazine shows or, or reality TV shows are working so quickly that they can't hire one person to write all of the music Um, So they rely on music houses that hire other composers. Um, And so sometimes the relationships are closer than not. And so with this particular library, um, they'll know ahead of time, like, what's on deck for the week. So, like, you know, we're doing a retrospective of the murder of JonBenet Ramsey. We need this kind of Trent Reznor thing. Mm -hmm. So you get a briefing, and then you make, like, a minute and a half of music. Um, And when I do stuff like that, I just go. Something about something about the deadlines, something about the constraints. It, it just, at this point, I've been, I've been writing stuff like that for, for a decade and it's just instinctual. And I think as I learn, as I, as I join, uh, the concert world, um, I'm trying to rely on that, that same instinct, right? Like, you know, an idea that's worth following instead mm-hmm. of like, what's an idea that the band people would like? You know what I mean? Um, so like I'm, you know, that's still something that I, that I, I try and work on that translation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just that if it's an idea that, that you believe in, it's, if it's an idea that you think is worth following, other people will probably agree with you or at least go on the adventure with you. Um, but I can imagine that the experience of having to generate your own, uh, prompts and sources of inspiration compared to having someone or a team of people present those ideas to you and say, write music about this, that that might be quite different of an experience to actually have to kind of go inside yourself and decide what you want to say rather than doing yeah. it in response to somebody else. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but deeply satisfying. Yeah. To do that work. Um, Or, or, you know, at least in my in my personal life, having spent so much time sort of cranking out things for other people, Mm -hmm. um, getting permission, you know, Mm -hmm. from from my friend Michael Markowski to be like, no, you can you can do this. (laughs) Like you can. There's a place for, you know, the other parts of you Mm -hmm. um, to to express and 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 say a little more. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I'm wondering now, just as we're talking, if it makes a difference to you uh, to know that there might be an audience for the music itself, uh, rather than like an audience that maybe is watching a film or a TV show or whatever it is, and maybe the music is in the background. Like, is that a factor in your creative process or is it pretty much the same? I'm genuinely oh, no. curious. <laughs> it, sure, it sure is. You know, if I'm writing something for TV, there's dialogue to consider. There's, mm-hmm. you know, like I do know my role in that collaboration. Um, and and um, 
you know, when it's time to come forward musically or when it's time to pull back, you know, those are all um, results of, of a lot of teamwork and collaboration, right? So it is so much different to say, okay, you know, this narrative arc is mine. I am driving the ship and I will, you know, and I will tell a story. Um, and, and, you know, I still find ways to collaborate even when, when the onus is sort of all on me to create, mm-hmm. because I, because I just prefer to work that way. And that actually perfectly leads into my next question, which is about your piece dimension. Um, and I'm going to just, for the listeners, I'm going to read this little description that I found about this piece. Okay. So dimension is for full concert band and flexible wind band, including a computer program generating two dimensional fractal visualizations of the ensemble's performance in real time, which can be projected during performances. Okay. Let me tell you what what happens. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's a lot. <laughs> Welcome to my brain. Please come in, take a seat, try and get comfortable if you can. Uh, just kidding. I would say dimension is more customizable than it is flex. Okay. So when you, the band director, when you decide to play the piece, uh, you'll be sent the program notes, which explains how to play and a little about the visual. Um, but it also includes 13 eight-bar melodies. Each melody has been... Um, inspired by a different fractal that occurs in nature. So your first job is to choose one of these melodies. And and each eight-bar line features a picture of the fractal in nature that it was inspired by, and also a small screenshot of a demo of what the visual might do over the eight-minute duration of the piece. So that will kind of give you an idea of of the color scheme, the shape, the, the idea, right? So your first job is to pick one of these melodies. You may choose, for instance, the flute, which was inspired by a snowflake. And so the journey of your piece will then revolve around this flute melody. Um, You may choose uh, the saxophone quartet to be the fractal generating melody of your piece. Um, The sax quartet was inspired by turtle shells. Maybe you want the trombone, which was inspired by the Florida panhandle from space. Did you know Mm. that coastlines are fractals? Um, Or maybe you're into the euphonium line, which was inspired by a piece of Romanesco broccoli. Uh, (laughs) So there are many more choices. Um, Oh, another favorite of mine is the piano. I'm obviously a little biased, but the piano is um, an electrical storm. So that, that one's really dramatic. The second thing you'll do is to have a conversation with me. So you'll share with me the fractal generating melody you've chosen, and we'll talk about the makeup of your group. You know, maybe this is for a chamber group, you have four players. Maybe this is for your full ensemble, you have 72 players. Um, we can wrangle it all. Um, but you'll, you'll tell me sort of the strengths of your ensemble, things we can play to, who we're working with, um, and I will generate a score for you and send it back. It is possible, if you're interested, to have all 13 generating melodies and their accompaniment parts um, so that feasibly this piece could be played um, even as a duet by one person. So, for instance, it would be possible to record yourself playing, like, say, the oboe accompaniment part and then record over that with the oboe fractal generating melody. So the third thing that you do is you rehearse your piece uh, when you're ready to perform. You open my website, www.joanneharriscomposer.com forward slash dimension, and that opens the page that runs uh, the code. So you click, you enable your microphone, you click play. There's a big play button, you can't miss it. (laughs) And for 30 seconds, the code is analyzing the pitch information it expects to hear uh, versus the pitch information that it does hear, sort of the tempo information that it expects to hear versus the tempo information it does hear, and sometimes even some extraneous noise. Uh, so all of that sound information is influencing the mathematical formula that will then produce a 2D fractal on screen. Once you have your 2D fractal, my friend and genius animator Katie Hahn Uh, came in to design the part of the code that then takes that 2D fractal on a 3D journey. So for instance, if you chose the flute as your fractal generating melody, um, the whole trajectory of your eight-minute visual is about an icy, wintry, snowflake journey. 
My favorite thing about Dimension is that it's impossible for any two performances to be duplicated exactly. Uh, and this is, you know, representative of also a fractal in nature. Um, though they repeat and they are self-similar, they're never totally duplicated. And I think this is a philosophy that really resonates with me um, and a philosophy I really like about life and about live performance. You know, you could play the same piece four nights in a row and and every night your ensemble would, would experience a different animal. And so in this way, we're creating a visual that duplicates that experience and that celebrates um, the little idiosyncrasies that, that make us different. This piece was... Um, uh, commissioned by Consortium, led by Nora Tykast at Spring nice. Lake Park High School. You know Nora. Nora. Yeah. She's a huge fan of your music. Yeah. Huge. She's wonderful. She is wonderful. And she's such yeah. a great collaborator. And so they're going to premiere it, uh, I believe, this coming week, June 5th. Oh, wow. That is so cool. I can't yeah. wait the to see. The future is here. Yeah, I can't wait to see how that all comes together. And I know that uh, the piece is under consortium exclusivity for a while, right? Yes, I believe for a year. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we'll still put the the info in our episode well, notes thanks, for people guys. to check it out eventually. You know, it's just been so – this piece has been really fun. Um I, I just have to tell you a little bit more about it. My friend Stuart is a mathematician, and this started like maybe four years ago um, because he has a Twitter bot that tweets a fractal a day. And I was asking him, you know, like how it works. I was like, this is this is crazy. And so, he was, you know, he's explaining in full on like math professor mode, like the chaos game theory. And I'm like, oh, OK, I don't really <laughs> sure, understand this, but yeah. neat. I mean, like this is a really involved bot that you made. And I was like, did you ever think of putting like MIDI into the code and seeing what, you know, what the chaos game would spit out musically? And he was like, no, but I like that idea. <laughs> so we did it. And Stuart's assessment was sort of like, well, this isn't quite music, but it's not quite noise either. I don't really know what to make of it. Um, and so I was like, what if we worked the other way? Like, what if we made music and then taught the bot, like, employ some AI learning here and see if we can't get the bot to respond to music. And so about the, the same time that we were just, we were just messing with this just for fun, um, Nora reached out about a piece and I was like, Hey, <laughs> do you have any interest in like <laughs> going on a weird fractal journey? And she was like, absolutely. <laughs> this could be like a great like STEM collaboration. That's so cool. That's and it's it's fascinating that there are so many levels of collaboration here too, including mm. collaborating with AI. Like there's there are so many levels of of this here. And another one is is this correct that this was a a consortium involving the and we were heard? Correct. Project. Yeah. Yeah. So cuz we had Caitlin Bove on the podcast earlier this spring, so mm. our listeners are familiar with that so that how did that all come together um that was that was Nora's doing and then of course we know Caitlin and Caitlin was like okay yeah um <laughs> and the organization is so wonderful I mean just to to um to be included in in anything that they think is cool is just awesome <laughs> so uh yeah, yeah it's really really um a good way to to spread the word about For dimension sure. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Sounds like a really cool project. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I said the future is here. And uh, what is a conversation in 2021 without talking about a pandemic? Um, <laughs> and at the uh, at the beginning of all of this, I think for at least for me, uh, I was, uh, this is sad to say, I was partly hoping that uh, my school was like, oh, we're going to go virtual for everything. So I could take off somewhere and, and go teach from there, uh, specifically my homeland uh, of Prince Edward Island. But you, you were able to do this. So we want to hear about what we've called the COVID cabin. <laughs> uh, could you tell us about this experience of cultivating creativity in a new environment? And, you know, how, how did that help you? Well, I, yeah, oh, I like, sure can tell you. Um, the short story is, uh, you know, um, my lease was up. City life was not happening. You know, anything I loved about being in the city was just not 
happening. Um, <laughs> and, and so I sort of um, leaned on my other love, nature. And I thought, what if I just, you know, I can teach online. I teach a, a class for um, at CUNY Brooklyn College at the Fierstein uh, Graduate Center for Cinema in orchestration for cinema. And mm-hmm. so we were, you know, we were all online and I knew we'd be online uh, for the next year. And so I rented this little cabin in Cooperstown and and I moved there and I uh, just uh, had a real wilderness experience. Um, and it was awesome. That's, you know, that's the short story. The longer story, I think, involves a discussion of, of mental health mm-hmm. and about... Um, the time that I needed to sort of discover, uh, that I had been pushing so hard, um, for 10 years. I don't know if this is, um, a narrative you guys are familiar with, (laughs) probably. Um, (laughs) but you know, it was ingrained in me in a very early age that, you know, I had a creative brain and it was very special, but it was also going to mean that maybe I run a little blue, you know, that, that there's a depressive, anxious streak to me and, and that's just my brain. Um, and so that was kind of the story, uh, that I was dealing with. Um, and I think I spent so much time trying to just manage my depression and anxiety myself, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, at some point is untenable, you know, there's only so many miles you can run and yoga you can do and, <laughs> You know, you can meditate all day long, but if there's a chemical imbalance, you know, it's it's um, it's something at some point to to work with a doctor mm-hmm. about um, and mm-hmm. and seek seek some medication. So, you know, in in the pandemic, I think I was also facing a real personal end to my own attempt to manage uh, yeah. my depression and anxiety. So. So the yeah. woods was a great reprieve, you know, um, well, butrin and trees and my therapist and every, you know, <laughs> um, you know, a great support group of friends and family, um, a banjo project on Thursday night, <laughs> <laughs> Kate, Kate and Hannah, you know, yeah. so, so, um, I think, the cabin ended up being the COVID cabin, uh, ended up <laughs> being a really necessary part to, to my journey in that way too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for sharing that. And yeah. you brought a piano there. I have to ask you somehow you Wait, got a, it piano like a real to piano to this place. Oh yeah. Um, and so uh, somewhat eccentrically, I think I may have started, <laughs> um, a chain of events where I'm just moving this upright from Airbnb to Airbnb. That's kind of my life now. <laughs> um, and, and I'm okay with it. It's a, it's a gorgeous instrument and, um, I've grown kind of attached to it. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, I moved, I moved a piano into the, into the cabin and I've subsequently moved it out of the cabin. Uh, <laughs> I've upgraded slightly. I'm in a now, uh, 1930s, post-colonial revival stone cottage uh that's in oh. that's in Utica. And the piano is actually much happier here. The humidity is Oh good. Yeah. Good to hear. So yes, you've gone you from, needed that from cabin to cottage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm in the COVID cottage. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad the alliteration was maintained. This is yeah, really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. It's a good thing to hear because I think so much of um, surviving the pandemic mentally is about another C word control and how we, mm. you know, whatever mm. way we can find that, um, it's, it's, uh, it's good for us. You're right, Dylan. It's, it's like the control thing is huge, especially mm-hmm. in the jobs that we have, um, yeah. and the people that we are and, and the ways that we invest in our music and connecting with each other, it has just been a really, really hard year for everyone, you know? I've been so inspired by uh, following along your journey with the cabin and, you know, uh, prioritizing your relationship with nature. And I'm so interested to see what kind of work comes, you know, from you in the next few years, having spent this time 
focusing on yourself and your health and all of that. I, I think it's really admirable that you've chosen to do that. Thanks, Kate. I mean, I could say the same of you. I think, you know, you've chosen to prioritize uh, nature in a lot of ways and the ways that you give back from the sales of your music and the ways that you are invested in, in your community and, and the health of the landscape of your community. I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I, uh, I feel you and I, the respect is mutual. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> So we've talked quite a bit about uh, mentors throughout this conversation, and it seems as though you've had a number of really influential people in your life um, who have really helped to shape the experiences that you've had and the career decisions that you've made. Um, so we're wondering how your mentors have influenced you as a mentor for others. You teach a course and you're now in a position to be able to impart wisdom on others. So yeah, how, how have your mentors influenced you as a teacher? That's such a good question. Um, I think this is, this is my third year teaching at CUNY Brooklyn College and I, um, I think somewhere last year, uh, I I kind of had the realization that a lot of my teaching, like I was I was trying to teach to the pockets uh, of information that were missing from my experience, mm -hmm. instead of sort of like um, really trying to to dig in and to be with my students exactly where they were, because that's the example that I've gotten from my mentors in a big way you know, from everyone from Chris Hagen to Michael Markowski, you know, to Renee Claussen, I think they've all sort of been able to come stand with me where I was. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's, that's made all the difference. And so I, I try and think about that, um, thoughtful ways to participate with my students exactly where they are. Beautiful. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really nice. Dylan has talked about that as well. We've talked about that concept with, um, with other teachers and, and people as well, the temptation to teach to people who are like yourself versus really just mm. being present with the people who are there in whatever state they are in. Right. It's uh, it makes a big difference for sure. Yeah. I was, I've, I've worked with people. <laughs> I've worked with people who, um, you know, maybe in a meeting or something say, oh, this person, oh, they're, they're so, even I've heard the word stupid and I've heard, you know, just really horrible things said about students from someone who's in that mentor position. And just to think of what they think our business is like, like we, we take healthy patients and we, what do we do, we make them, we make them healthier. Is that what we do? Or do we take those that are broken, those that might not know everything yet, and and make them healthy? Um, so I, I think there's just so much truth in in what you said about in a good mentor having someone that's going to come to you that sees something in you, and in some ways and often uh, you know is willing to to defend you to, to and, and all those kind of things. So yeah, and I mean I think it's not often you know. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes there's some ego work at play, like in the example that you shared. But I, I think sometimes <laughs> oh, it's <yeah>. not, <laughs> you know, um, first of all, none of us knows everything. That's the point. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the point of life. We're always uncovering a new chapter. We're turning a new corner. We're climbing a new mountain every single day. And mm -hmm. so to think that music is any different is, um, first of all, just not true. Second of all, is missing the point of making really good art. So how do we empower our students to stay curious, to stay open, to, to stay learning, to, to drive their own sort of um, success? How do, we, how do we unlock that for them? Is, is, um, and you're exactly right, Dylan. Like, it's not like, the expectation that healthy people come to the doctor and we make them healthier <laughs> is just absurd. <laughs> like <laughs> school is supposed to be for learning. <laughs> You're not yeah. supposed yeah. to come there knowing everything. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do also see the instinct for some, uh, you know, 
not maliciously, but like teachers want to make sure like good parents, like, you know, like good little bird parents. Like if my little bird leaves the nest, I don't want them to crash and burn. But the other like intense truth about what we do is that the only way you actually learn is to just crash and you burn. know crash and burn yeah <laughs> go out there and fail and fail and fail and so, dylan's favorite word <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's my other presentation <laughs> yeah Ooh, i want to hear that um, one. <laughs> oh it's, it's called the f word using fa- <laughs> failure as a vehicle for growth um totally. anyway. um yeah no it's it's a really important thing and i've i've heard um Rob Taylor said it that we need to learn how to fail better. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice way of, of thinking about it sometimes. As hard as it is. Um, as hard but, as it is. Yeah. And I, I've, I don't want to move on, but we have to move on to the last mm-hmm. question. But before we do that, <laughs> um, the three of us are going to go off into bonus episode land. And there, things will be spoken that you know, there's numerous paths we could go down. We don't really know what it's going to be. So uh, you can hear that bonus episode uh, if you become part of the BRP Patreon fam. And you can learn more about that by going to patreon.com slash Pod, where you'll have access to our conversation and many more excellent ones, such as the one we were talking about before this recording started with Alex Shapiro. And it was just, anyway, no pressure, but... That, that was a great one. Um, so please check that out. But before we uh, go do that, if you had one piece of advice for up-and-coming composers or conductors or just anyone really, what would it be? You've already offered us so many wonderful, beautiful golden nuggets, but we demand more. <laughs> well, for the audience that needs more, I've got more. <laughs> um, and it's this. Um, and this is advice that I'm trying to take myself. So I'm mm, currently in the process of, of trying to take this advice. But I think when you don't know what to do, go have an adventure. Hmm. Like so often we come to points in our lives or, or in our music. Like I find this especially when I'm working on something and I'm super stuck. My instinct is to push through it. Sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that's a fine instinct. But sometimes I find myself in the weeds and I'm just noodling with something that's just I'm never going to keep anyway. Four hours go by and I'm like, well, what did I do? Really? I did nothing. (laughs) Um, And my time would have been better spent out in the woods, walking around, (laughs) having an adventure. Um, It doesn't have to be the woods. It could be the TJ Maxx. I mean, it could be you can have an adventure anywhere. But this is my advice to you young composers, conductors alike. If you're stuck, give it up for a second. Go have an adventure. <laughs> See how that changes your landscape. Beautiful. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome advice. I like that you prefaced it by saying that it's advice you're trying to take yourself yes. as well because it's it's one thing to know that that helps. It's another to actually apply it in everyday situations when you're feeling stuck and you feel like the only solution is just to keep going it's hard to break out of that and go i know what will help and it's leaving (laughs) going and doing something else it is and maybe this is the next you know future of of ai computer learning is that i make a hologram (laughs) of the two of you so you can come into my studio and remind me like you can be sort of listening all the time haunting you over your shoulder oh no (laughs) joe's really going down a rabbit hole and she's not coming out and you could be on an adventure yeah yeah. (laughs) adventure 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 and then it would be a hologram of kate like Kate holding bird tree. in her hands and, yeah. and like when the birds come and sit on your palm and then and then I'd be like yeah I want to go do that and then I, everybody oh. should want to go do that it's just I a know. magical experience to have a tiny little fluffy bird sitting on your hand eating a seed like but it's I, the best. Chickadee. I think yeah. it's only yeah. you that can pull it off <laughs> You're just standing there for hours. That's the thing. You just have to have patience. And then once the birds, we could go on and on about this for a long time. Once the birds know they can trust you, they follow you around. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. They can see, they can see through the window to your soul. 
your eyes. They trust yeah. you. Wow. There I you guess so. Well, there, yeah. there you go, listener. I bet you weren't expecting on advice on how to tame, not tame, tame is not the right word, but to call <laughs> the birds to your hand. Yes. But you got it here on the Band Room Podcast. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that, that's really, it's really wonderful advice. And I love advice that, um, f- as Kate mentioned, that, that, you take yourself and try to remind of yourself, but also advice that fits on a t-shirt is, <laughs> is very good too. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes like today I get to meet people that I, I really don't know. And today has just been really such a treat. And I feel uh, you're a kindred spirit. This is a wonderful thing. And, and, uh, it's, I'm so grateful to have this conversation. And, uh, I know that you said you're, you're new into the wind world, but I'm so grateful for your voice, not only literally, but also musically in this world. It's, yeah, I've, I've just really enjoyed talking to you and, and to getting to know more of your music as well. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Dylan, that was so nice. <laughs> that, thank you. Oh my gosh. See, thank you. this is why this you is... come work with people yeah, in the band you're world. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there, Ted Lasso's, every last one of you, just the biggest hearted, (laughs) best people I've ever known. Oh, wow. Thank you. You're the best. Okay. Thanks so much for spending time with us in the band room. If you want to learn more about anything that we discussed in today's episode, check out the links found on our website, bandroompod.com. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe to the Bandroom podcast. Give us a rating and review and tell all your friends about how much you enjoyed it. If you really love the show, maybe you should consider donating to our Patreon page where you can support BRP and get some extra incentives in return. Or you can buy some sweet BRP merch, helping to offset podcast hosting costs and investments into new equipment so that we can continue to bring you great content and great people. Follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube to keep up with what's on the go. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, leave us a comment on our website, bandroompod.com, and your comment might be featured in a future episode of BRP. Stay safe and be well, bandies. Thanks again for stopping by the band room. Thank you.